So uh, welcome to Ethos, Hillsborough Village. Um, if you are new or visiting or missed last week, we are on week two of a like three-part kind of small sermon series currently. We were going to start a sermon series on prayer, but we actually pushed that back and delayed that to kind of zoom out and just take three weeks to really sit in our mission statement of love God, love people, and awaken a movement, and take one week at a time to look at all three aspects of that mission. So last week, Joshua kicked us off and talked about loving God. What does that mean? What does that look like? And if you want to learn more, go check out the podcast. That was last week. This week, we're talking about love people. So in the Christian uh, world, we do believe in loving all people, both inside and outside the church. But this week, we're going to stop and kind of really focus in on loving people in the church, particularly in the local church. So if you call Hillsborough Village, this church family, your home, it's about, this is kind of a family conversation. Or if you're visiting, welcome, glad you're here. But this is for you to maybe take to your church family elsewhere. Um, is what the New Testament writers call like, loving your brothers and sisters in Christ. Several months ago, on uh, March 7th, probably around 2 or 3 a.m., I was sitting in a rocking chair holding my just shy of one-year-old son as he was crying. And this was not abnormal. He typically would go to bed around seven and wake up every two to three hours. So, you know, like 10, 12, two, that kind of thing. Uh, parents in the room, you know very well what I'm about to describe. But for those of you who are not parents, there is no way to really describe to you the whirlwind roller coaster of emotions that being a parent of a newborn baby, like, produces within you. Uh, there is, you know, you hold this little nugget in your hands and all the love and affection in the world is there from day one. You care about this child. You love them. You want to protect them from like the dangers and evils of the world. But at the same time, you can hold that in one hand and in the other hand at times be more frustrated, annoyed, and outright angry with a tiny little human than you have ever been with another person in your life. And you can hold both of those kind of simultaneously. And the level of annoyance and outright anger sometimes that being a sleep-deprived, diaper-changing servant of a newborn produces in you is quite something. It's crazy that you can hold those two things in tension, all the love in the world while still being more put out with someone. And I'm sure on that particular night, just a few hours earlier, that I like was holding Marlo and laid him down in his crib, fast asleep with all the like warm fuzzies that a parent of a new child feels when they are looking down on their sleeping child. But then a couple hours later, as his cries on the monitor woke us up, all warm fuzzies are gone. They're out the window, and I'm sure I like ripped the covers off and stomped into his room, burst through the door, picked him up eye level, and was like, what? <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, yeah. And then, you know, fed him, changed his diaper, not sure exactly what was going on that night. I just know it wasn't going well. 
And as I sat there rocking him to sleep, annoyed, angry, and just really wanting to lay back down in my own bed, I just felt this gentle rebuke from the Lord in my heart. Uh, It wasn't an audible voice. There wasn't like visions in the sky opening up. There wasn't an angelic messenger standing there in front of me. Just this impression on my heart, a gentle, loving rebuke from my heavenly father. And it was something akin to this. It said, Gentry, you are not loving your son right now. You are being selfish and self-centered only caring about yourself. And it wasn't angry, it wasn't condemning, but it was firm and it was convicting. And as I sat there and cried over my son, over my sin against him, I apologized to him, I repented. As the Lord continued to just peel back layers of my heart and expose areas of sin and self-centeredness in my own heart. The Lord, I think, was trying to teach me something that night in that moment. And I kind of wonder if the opposite of love isn't hate, but it's self-centeredness. Or if the opposite of love isn't self-centeredness, it's at least the inverse of it. Or at least, one thing's for sure, self-centeredness is nowhere near love, no matter where they sit in relation to one another. He was teaching me that feeling love for someone and acting lovingly towards someone are two different things. Affectionate fuzzies and being willing to put the good of someone else ahead of my own good are two different things. Both the the Bible and the world have a lot to say about what love is and what love looks like. They have a lot to say about loving God and loving people. We live in a world that loves the idea and language of love people. People hear that part of our mission statement and I'm sure are like, yes, let's go. Um, but oftentimes what is meant and imagined by some of our world is radically different than what is meant and imagined by the biblical authors when we say love people. Joshua mentioned last week uh, that we, our culture has changed the definition of love up a little bit to something more akin to lust or desire or what the New Testament calls covetousness. It's like, we're like, man, I love those shoes. I literally said that to someone out on the front porch before we started. Or I love that car. I love Star Wars. We love our job as long as we're getting something out of it. We love our relationships as long as like we're benefiting from being in that relationship. We love the idea of supporting a cause as long as we just like need to make a post about it that'll actually just make us look good. This is some, not all, but this is some of what the world has to teach about love, which is really all about the self and what gratifies the flesh. Jesus has something different to say about love, both in his words and in his actions. If you've got a Bible, you can open up to John chapter 13 is where our teaching text is gonna be today. And we're gonna look at a whole whopping two verses for the remainder of our time together. So in John chapter 13, we're going to start in verse 34. 
John, or Jesus is, he is having dinner with his disciples. This is at the Passover meal. This is kind of his last time that he's with them. He is teaching them, giving a speech, and hanging out with his guys for the last time before he's going to be arrested, tried, and handed over for execution. And this is how Jesus starts off this night together in, with his disciples. He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And by this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So Jesus begins his farewell speech to his friends, the small little group that's going to go out and start the early church. He kicks off their last evening together in his teaching by saying, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. So we're going to take our time and walk through these two verses line by line. We're going to really kind of take our time and look at all the facets of what Jesus is saying here and really try to get a hold of what's being said in these two verses. For you note takers out there, we're going to kind of break this up into three movements. A new commandment, just as I have loved you, and by this all people will know. So, movement one, a new commandment. It's a fun word. This is a commandment from Jesus, their teacher and rabbi, our teacher and rabbi. It's not a suggestion like, hey, it might be a good idea if... It's not a self-help tip. If you want a better, easier life, here is how you do it. No, this is an instruction from the mouth of Jesus. When you're an apprentice of someone, they know better pretty much all the time. They know a better way to do things. They know a way that is more fruitful. They know a way that is more abundant. That's why they're your teacher and you're their apprentice. Peter even admits this about Jesus when he says, you alone have the words of eternal life. He was their teacher, and they were his students just as we are. And for any disciple, when a teacher says something, that should be enough, simply because they said it. Simply because Jesus said this, that should be enough for us. But he goes a step beyond that here. Jesus states that this is a command. The word commandment here is the same Greek word used in the Gospels to refer to the commandments of the Old Testament. It carries with it this idea of a law or decree. Uh, it, law or decree given from someone in a position of authority. So Jesus, who is God in flesh, speaks a commandment to his disciples, not a suggestion, a commandment that puts this on par with you shall not murder. This is the same level of authority given. This is a command. Imagine a king writing a law, signing off on it, giving his stamp of approval with his signet ring. That's the picture here. A new commandment. If you are my disciple, if you claim to follow me, if your allegiance is with me, this is law for your life. This is how you are to live. 
to love one another. But Jesus goes on and says, just as I have loved you. So Jesus gives a new commandment to love one another, but then he says, just as I loved you. So what does Jesus mean by just as I have loved you? This is where it starts to get really good, in my opinion. Uh, So you may or may not know this, in the Greek Uh, there are several different words for love. If you just Google how many words for love are in Greek, you will get somewhere between the range of four to eight different words to express the idea of love. Unlike English, where we have one kind of junk drawer word, there were different words to express different kinds of love. Imagine love like the color blue. There's one single color blue, but there are different shades of that single color. They're all blue, but they're distinct and different. You've got royal blue, baby blue, navy blue, these different kinds of shades and expressions of blue. And in the New Testament, there is one particular blue, one expression of love that stands out head and shoulders above the rest. That love, that shade of blue, is called agape. Only one kind of love is mentioned in our teaching text here by Jesus, and it is by far the favorite of the New Testament authors, and there's not any of those other words here, just agape. So Jesus' command is one particular shade of love, that particular shade of love is agape, which agape is more than just a feeling kind of love. Agape is love in action. It's active love. It's love in motion. One Greek lexicon defines agape as the active love of God for his son and his people, and the active love his people are to have for God, each other, and even their enemies. So there's a reason, though, that agape is the favorite love of the New Testament authors. There's a reason it's their favorite shade of blue. Agape is the Jesus in the New Testament favorite shade of blue because it is the biblical expression of love. It is the kind of love revealed about the Father in the Old Testament, believe it or not, And it is the kind of love that was lived out and expressed through the life and teachings of Jesus. Love one another as I have loved you. So what does Jesus mean how he has loved them? In the same chapter, just before Jesus started this teaching, as they were reclining at their meal together, Jesus got up from their meal Imagine he went close to like wherever the door in and out of the upper room that they were in was, and he removed his outer garments and put a towel around his waist, and he filled a water basin, and he came around and he washed his disciples' feet. For many of you, if you've been around the church for a while, this is probably a familiar story with you. Uh, Or if you are new to the church, this might sound like a weird story to you. Uh, Wherever you're at, in any presuppositions, um, let's try to set those aside and just hear with fresh ears and imagine ourselves here in this scene. Imagine sitting down, 
sharing a meal with your close friends, whom you love, who you've been walking with for years. And don't forget that this is an honor-shame culture here. And you're sharing this meal, and Jesus is there, who is chief among you. And he gets up, and he wraps, he changes his clothes, wraps a towel around his waist, which, by the way, is not just like functional flair for what he's about to do. It's not just like, oh yeah, in case you guys like spill some of the wine or whatever. No, Jesus is dressing himself the way that a household servant would be dressed. And he doesn't just dress the part, he comes around and he plays the part. And even more than that, Jesus is the expression of the part. Imagine that he comes around wrapped in a towel and he begins to get down on his knees and one by one wash the feet of his disciples, taking on the role of servant. And eventually he makes his way around and gets to you. It wouldn't have made much sense for him to shame himself in this way, to lower himself to the place of cleaning the dirt off of your feet that have been walking around outside all day in sandals, probably pretty gross, a job that was reserved, the job that was reserved for non-Jewish servants in a culture that cared a lot about uh, ritual cleanliness. And what's even more fascinating is that Jesus does this even for Judas, who's about to go out and sell him out, literally, and betray him. Jesus does this actually right before he sends Jesus to go do that. So Jesus gets down and washes the feet of his disciples, even the one who he knows is about to betray him. This is the picture of agape. This is the picture of biblical love, of humbling himself and putting himself in the place of servant just to serve others. This is love in motion. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He says uh, to love as he loves. And he continues this call in chapter 15 In verse 12 of chapter 15, he says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. So he's restating that commandment again, two chapters later in the same kind of, in the same evening. But this time he follows it up with, greater love has no one than this, that they lay, that someone lay his life down for his friends, which, spoiler alert, if you're new, uh, he's about to do the very next day. This is the picture of the love of Jesus, the love that God has for his people. This is agape. It's not warm fuzzies. It's not flighty feelings. It's active love of service. It's tender and it's caring and it is steadfast and resilient unto the point of death. The biblical expression a definition and expression of love is one of selflessness. I think the best, most concise definition I know that I've heard of biblical love is willing the good of another ahead of yourself. I think this is what Paul is getting at when he tells the church in Ephesus 
all, he tells all of the members of the church to submit themselves to one another, or more literally to place themselves beneath one another out of reverence for Christ. This is the call of the church. Jesus calls his disciples there in that room, the early church, he calls the church as a whole, us today, to love one another as he has loved them, as he has loved us. And there, he leaves no room to wonder what that love is, what that love looks like. His love is the love of humbling himself and washing feet. His love is the love to take on flesh and give himself over so that you may have eternal life. That's the picture that Jesus paints and then says, love each other that way. View yourself as a humble servant. Love as I have loved you. And there's no greater love than this, than to lay one's life down for his friends. Which brings us to movement three. By this, all people will know. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. He, so he singles out agape, active love of submission and service to each other as what marks his people as different. It's by the way that we love and serve one another that people will know that that person is a follower of Jesus because of the way that they treat and serve their friends and their family and the people they go to church with. That is what we are supposed to be marked by. I'm not a sociologist, and I've not done a lot of research in what I'm about to say. In fact, I've actually done none, but it's pretty easy to tell if you've been paying attention for the last several years uh, and people talk about it often, that the Western church has been in decline for quite some time. And more than that, it's not just in decline, I feel so much that the church has just lost respect from the public eye. We live in what thinkers now call a post-Christian culture, where respect for the church is waning and people view themselves as having evolved beyond Christianity. And to be clear, again, I'm not a sociologist, but, and there is a lot at work at play there. And so I'm not saying any one thing. There's a huge complex thing going on with that decline of the church. But I have to wonder if one of the many layers in that complexity is that as the culture around us grows more individualistic, saturated with prestige and image, and with the rise of social media and other phenomena, if we have not actually become an honor-shame culture ourselves. And as we, as the church, have been surrounded by this, if we have not lost sight of what it truly means to love people. To love each other within the church as Jesus loved us. I have to wonder if we have allowed ourselves to become consumers instead of contributors. And I'll be the first to stay, stand up here and admit like guilty as charged. There have been Sundays in this building where I have come as a consumer. And it's hard, it's not glamorous to serve other people. 
especially in our image-obsessed culture, it's actually shameful to serve other people in that way at times, to lower ourselves beneath them and get down on our knees and serve them. It's shameful to wash feet. I know for myself sometimes it's literally physically difficult to will the good of another person ahead of myself. It's a feeling in my chest at times that is difficult. It's difficult to do something for someone that doesn't only benefit you, but that might actually cost you something. Because of the water that we swim in, of that kind of picture there, I think we've lost sight of Jesus' call here. And please hear me, this is not an indictment. This is more of a diagnosis. We struggle with submitting ourselves to Jesus and loving others ahead of ourselves because we struggle and misunderstand the sufficiency of Jesus. We misunderstand that to die is gain. My mind turns to uh, Jesus' words at another point when he says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. So there's the cost, that's it, but Jesus gives us the math and he tells us what's on the other side. In the next verse, he says, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Jesus tells us that in giving up our life is where we actually find true life, that loving people just to bless them is actually the biggest blessing that that is where we find life in Christ when we choose to put ourselves beneath someone, especially our brothers and sisters in Christ. It's when we invite someone new at our, in our church family that you've never seen before out to lunch just to get to know them and bless them and pour into them. It's when you go over to your brother or sister's house after they've had tragic loss in their life just to sit with them, to not say anything, but to just sit and take a night out of your life. It's when you take a day out of your regular routine and schedule just to accompany someone moving different cities in different states just to be a presence in the car and a helping hand with them because you love them. Will it cost you something? A night to yourself, time doing your hobby, a little bit of sweat? Sure, maybe but there is treasure waiting on the other side, more valuable than whatever it is that we're trying to like hold on to and protect. As I mentioned earlier, Peter said, Jesus alone holds the words to eternal life. And maybe, maybe this commandment is one of those words. To love our brothers and sisters with active biblical love. As I was writing and praying this, uh, over this teaching, I just felt an invitation from the Lord for our church family here to rediscover this kind of love. He says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples. This love is a light in the darkness. And I believe it's a light that we all long for deep down. We're just sometimes too scared to believe Jesus when he tells us that there is treasure on the other side. But guys, it's beautiful to love one another in this way, to encourage one another, 
to help a brother out with an issue, to provide for one of our friends in need, to bless someone simply just to bless them because we first have been blessed. And there's an opportunity, like Joshua mentioned in the coming weeks, as college students return, to welcome them in to our family, to encourage them, to look out for them, to bring them under our wing. Guys, to buy a meal for a college student is like the biggest blessing in the world. And it symbolizes, hey, you've got a place at the table with this family. We get to practice and showcase and live into being a culture of contributors, not consumers, as we love each other in this way. That kind of active love is compelling. It was compelling enough to wipe out paganism and change the trajectory of world history. Getting a little bit ahead of myself though, that's kind of where we're going next week. Um, But for the compelling love of Christ to reach the world, it first begins with one simple command, to love one another as I have loved you. And by this, all people will know that we are his disciples if we have love for one another. A command, yes, but also an invitation. An invitation to deeper transformation, to deeper community, to host a compelling love among us that itself is a testimony and witness to the love of Christ. A compelling light that like a moth to, the, to a flame is simply irresistible. I'll finish this out with a little bit, little short little story. Uh, this December, Dave Clayton, who is one of the like founders of Ethos Church, um, was telling a story after our candlelight gathering that he had invited some neighbors of his out to the candlelight gathering that we held at the cannery. And these neighbors were not followers of Jesus. Uh, they didn't attend church. And after the candlelight gathering, the thing when they were talking with Dave that they noticed was not that the worship was really great or that there was anything cool or flashy. The thing that they noticed that stood out to them was the way that our church family loved and looked out for and cared for one another. That's the call. That's the invitation. Giving your life away is hard, and there's no way around that. And I'm not great at it. But when we do, and when our heart is really there and really in it, there is treasure untold awaiting. There is abundant life on offer treasure that neither moth, moss, moth, yeah, moth, moth or rust can destroy. There you go. Um, So in typical Hillsborough Village fashion, we are going to kind of close out with some time of reflection. Um, I'm going to invite you, you can reflect on your own or in groups of like three to four people. Feel free to move chairs around if you want to get in a group and discuss. But Luke, you can uh, throw those questions up there. So there's a few prompts and questions here. First, take some time, whether it's alone or in conversation in a group, to pray and wrestle with your heart. Do you believe that there is abundant life in serving each other? And after you've wrestled through that, identify some ways that you can love and serve each other, both here at the Sunday worship gatherings, but also throughout the week. And then finally, just end in some prayer and ask the Holy Spirit where he might be inviting you specifically 
to love and serve your brothers and sisters in your church community. Um, so yeah, go ahead, gather around. I'll get back up here in a few minutes and we'll do communion in our closeout. But I wanna give you guys some time to work through this, these prompts on your own or in a small group.